Good morning. Welcome to Randall Church. We're glad that you're here today. We are in 1 Peter, so if you want to take your Bibles and turn there as we go, uh, that would be fantastic. Just to give you a little inside view of what happens behind the scenes here, uh, I am very fortunate to not come out here with a concussion or a black eye. I was about to come through the door over there, and Tim came blasting out the door at the same time. There's an eye hole that you can look through to see if someone's coming. Had I had my eye up against that hole, I would have definitely not made it here today. So God is gracious for sure uh, that we're all here together today. So to transition from that, uh, man, we're glad to have you here today. If this is your first time at Randall, uh, we're just excited to have you here. I hope that you have a good experience here today at the Information Center in the back. There's some things there if you just kind of look over and see what our church is about, and uh, we want you to be able to see those things. Uh, Buffalo is a great place to live. And a day like today for many of you uh, is, man, you are brimming with Buffalo pride because you are absolutely certain that Buffalo is going to give a swift roundhouse kick to the, uh, <laughs> to Tom Brady. Uh, and, um, and so we'll pray for him at the close of the service. If you spent any, how many of you spent any time at Canal Side downtown as they've started to change that over? Um, it's, it's surprising that you haven't made it there yet. You need to go and just see. Uh, one of the unique things that I like about it is there's one section, and it was one of the earlier parts that they redid, where they cut out where the old canal was at. And if you stand and look at just the right spot, they have these green kind of films, and you can look through that film and see what the canal looks like now, what it looked like 100 years ago, and perhaps even what it looked like 200 years ago. And kind of looking through this screen, you can see, well, there was a building here, a building here. It's a really kind of a neat, neat thing to be able to look at that. Um, but it, it's basically 200 years ago, in the summer of 1805, there was a number of Indian chiefs who came together in uh, Buffalo Creek, which is now Buffalo, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Can you, there's a little bit of ringing. Can you bring that down just a hair, Nate? So there's a Buffalo Creek. It was, it was the, uh, Buffalo Creek was a Seneca Nation uh, reservation here in Buffalo that in time, in, uh, excuse me, 1838, ended up being sold so that we could have the city of Buffalo, and they moved most of them to the Tonawanda Reservation. The Indian chiefs came together. They wanted to hear this presentation by this this uh, missionary named Mr. Cram is what I got his name as. Uh, he was going to come from the Boston Missionary Society and share his message with the Indians. Now, one of the chiefs who was there, his name was Red Jacket. After doing a little study, he got that name because during the American Revolution, he was uh, employed by the British to, to be someone who would run back as a messenger boy, and they gave him a red jacket, and basically he proudly wore that red jacket everywhere that he went for years upon year after that. And so he had this red jacket and became known as Chief Red Jacket. But among other things, after hearing the missionary's presentation of the gospel, this is how he responded, and I think it's a good launching point for us today. He said this, uh, the chief said this, Brother, you say that there's what one way to worship and serve the great spirit. If there is but one religion, why do you white people differ so much about it? Brother, we are told that you've been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has upon them. If we find it does them good, it makes them honest and less disposed to cheat the Indians, we will consider again what you have said. You hear what he's saying there? 
Basically, it was difficult for him to reconcile the fact that the white people who had come and were now living amongst him, his neighbors, it was difficult for him to reconcile what he was being told was their missionary behavior that they wanted the Indians to accept Christ. He said, why would I do that when the people who are here around us cheat us and treat us poorly and try to steal our land, etc., etc., etc.? It doesn't seem to match up. You realize that that's also a very similar position that we are in as Christians today. That, that people can't seem to add it up. If this Christ has changed your life, how come your life doesn't seem to match up with the teachings that he gave? If our walk matched our talk, if our character matched our confession, if what we claim to believe on Sunday was practiced on Monday, wouldn't there be a difference in our lives? We are in First Peter uh, this whole series is called Living Hope, and it comes from verse 3. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 is kind of the verse, an overarching verse over the whole thing. Living Hope, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We talked about this a few weeks ago, the idea of being born again. Nicodemus said to Jesus, he said, how must I be born again? Would I have to climb into my mother's womb to be birthed again? The craziness of that. But no, being born again means that there's something entirely different. There's a new life that has started because you are now in Christ. A new creation, old things have passed away, all things have become new. We talked about Christians have a hope that the world around us does not have. The Indians should have been able to see in the white man a hope, a desire, a purpose in their lives that is not in their own tribes and in their own people. There should be something different about you. So the title of this week's message is Living to Shine. And we're going to explain that a little bit more as we go. Live to Shine. I lived in South Carolina for almost 10 years and one of our favorite spots to go was Hunting Island State Park. I don't know if you've heard of it before. You may have heard of Hilton Head Island. Uh, that's more of a residential area. But Hunting Island is a, camp, a campground and so it's a national park, excuse me, a state park. And so you have a beach there at the state park with none of the amenities of what you expect to have at a beach. But if you're getting away and trying to get away from everything, it's a great spot to go. So there at Hunting Island State Park, there's the Hunting Island Lighthouse. Uh, I've studied and learned it was originally constructed in 1859. It's the only lighthouse in the state of South Carolina that's open to the public. So if you're just looking all over South Carolina, man, I wish I could go up into a lighthouse. Uh, now you know the only one that you're going to be able to find to go to. But the unique feature of this lighthouse was that it was actually built and it was designed using cast iron plates so that it could be dismantled if it ever needed to be and moved to a different spot. Uh, and in location, there's only two of these. There's one in Florida and there's one here in South Carolina. That It can be dismantled and moved if necessary. It was dismantled a few years later by the Confederates during the Civil War because they knew that if that lighthouse was there, that could be a beacon of light and hope to Union ships that were coming as an enemy to come. So they dismantled this entire lighthouse. A lighthouse that has 176 steps to the top. So they dismantled this entire structure so that it would not be there for the Union. It was rebuilt and placed back in 1875. So if you know your history, it took them a number of years to rebuild it, replace it, and put it back in place. And then they ended up taking it as fate would have it in 1889. They disassembled it and they moved it again a mile and a quarter away to where it currently is now. Because if you've ever been to Hunting Island, every year they lose about 13 or 14 feet, I believe it is, that the ocean is eroding away this island little by little by little. And so they had to move the lighthouse to a safer location. 
So if you're building a lighthouse, uh, it's a little bit different to assume that you're going to have to build it, unbuild it, rebuild it. Like there's a lot going on there. Uh, it makes this lighthouse kind of unique and this process kind of unique. Uh, if we are told and we are going to look in this passage today to see that we are supposed to be living to shine, we're going to learn that building a lighthouse is a lot of work. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to imagine, if you will, that you are one of those lighthouse builders. It's your responsibility to build this lighthouse. Maybe you're in phase one, phase two, or phase three, where now the lighthouse has been there for a number of years. But it's your job now to assemble, put this lighthouse together. And we're going to talk about some of the characteristics we would see in a lighthouse builder. First is this, the diet of a lighthouse builder. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. The diet of a lighthouse builder. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse 2, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 3, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter is looking at our diet as a Christ follower, as a lighthouse builder. He's looking at our diet. He is, he is pointing out foods to remove from our diet and foods to introduce. Here's the foods that you would remove from your diet. Uh, he has listed wickedness, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. In dietary terms, these are junk foods. They're loaded with empty calories. They have no nutritional value. He's saying, pull this out, remove this from your diet. If you've ever done the Atkins diet or the South Beach diet, both of these, uh, they attempt to remove all the carbs, all your carbohydrates out of your diet so that you can replace them with good things of protein and other things. You're going to pull out the bad and replace them with good. So if Paul is teaching us here, excuse me, if Peter's teaching us here to remove some stuff out of our diet, there's got to be a replacement that is there. So foods to introduce. We are to have a diet of pure spiritual milk. The word pure is not to dilute, to lessen, to to taint, to taint or pollute. That's what it means to have pure spiritual milk. In our our world, our day today, we have pasteurized milk. We have 1%, 2%, I don't know, 5%, I don't, uh, whole milk, skim milk, vitamin D. And then some of you are exploring into like almond milk and that's not milk, people, all right? If you're talking about pure milk, and I have a heart for this because I grew up on a dairy farm, all right, so I just have to let you know, like, uh, this is a tangent, it's a soapbox, I guess. If it's going to be pure milk, I mean, there is no other way for it to be pure milk than for it to come directly from the cow, right? The, the milk from the udder is pure milk. Why? Because nothing has been added to it. Nothing has been taken away. Nothing has been altered whatsoever. And so if we are going to to take this milk, it is going to be pure milk. Milk, historically, what if you drink milk, what is it going to build? Strong what? Bones and muscles, sort of, yeah? Teeth, your teeth and your bones. Both of things are kind of important, you know, for regular, everyday life. Some of you have most of both. (laughs) Our spiritual diet should build strength. It should fight immunities. 
right? It's going to build strong bones. If you watch television programs, a lot of times they're infomercials, but they come on and they, and they show kids from third world countries. And what do you notice? What do you see? You see a distended stomach. You see they're, they're, they're malnourished. They're hurting. And all that's left is their skeleton. That seems like all that's hanging off of their bodies is a skeleton. Their bellies are bloated. It's dangerous. It's visible that they are unhealthy. And your heart is drawn to them. You say, how can we help? How can we get involved? Unfortunately, the spiritual condition of many of our churches in America are just in that state as well. We are malnourished. We are not feasting on the rich, pure milk of God's word. To do that, we have to do what? We have to quit eating the junk foods, foods that are full of empty calories, have no nutritional value, and begin drinking of that pure milk from the udder, if you will, of God's word. We have to change our diet. If we're going to be lighthouse builders, you're going to have to change your diet. Secondly, the desire, the desire of a lighthouse builder. Verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious. Peter moves from the internal issue of what we eat to the external issue of how we are built. Like food, there's something to reject and something to embrace. Remember, we, we saw the foods that we were going to reject and the foods we we're going to embrace. He does the same thing here. Peter says that we come to be a living stone, but one who is rejected by men and accepted by God. He tells us when we become that stone, we become living stones as well. Now they're going to be built into a holy priesthood. Now, if there's ever a paradox, it is the word living stone. It's an oxymoron. We, we talk about something being right as, as dead as a rock or dead as a stone. The idea of a living stone is backwards. It's, it's a contradiction of terms like jumbo shrimp or government organization or airplane food or short pants. These are contradictions, right? They're oxymorons. They're contradictory terms. But if you look at Peter's writing, and we've been going through this book of 1 Peter, we see this contradiction, and, and in the contradiction, there's something that is understood. See, in 1 Peter 1.3, he called our hope a living hope. Remember that? He said it is a living hope. Now, how does that work? And, and then in verse 23, he says it is the living word of God. And here in chapter 2, verse 5, he speaks of it as a living stone. So to try to explain this the best that I'm able to do, uh, I'm going to use an analogy that, I, that is, I'll, I'll give you that I haven't found this in a commentary, so I'm not sure that it's entirely accurate, but I'm going to, de to defend it with Scripture, so I'm okay with that. Okay, will you follow me with that? So in our bodies, we learn that cells are often called the building blocks of life. Each of our cells, if, if you are alive, you have a cell structure, an organism. They are the basic unit of living organism. The whole body is made up of cells. If it is a plant, it is made of cells. If it is a tree, it is made of cells. You can divide it down. But each cell is a living organism. We learn in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are what? The body of Christ. And we also learn that what? Christ is the head of the body. So we are being built together. And here, he has built together a body of otherwise discarded cells or discarded living stones. It says this is, you've been of no use elsewhere, but God has chosen you and chose to use these discarded. They've been thrown on the floor, on the ground next. They've been discarded, pushed away. But he says, I'm going to use these living stones. And as the head of the body or the head of the corner, 
as it would be. Verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We're going to go into a little more detail with that in the rest of this passage. But you know that his greatest purpose while he was here on earth was to do what? To bring ultimate glory to God the Father. That was his job. That was his responsibility. And he pushes us through that. To, he says, you're going to be living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Why? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to who? To God through Jesus Christ. We're going to glorify God the Father. That is the responsibility of a living stone. And he has called us out to be living stones. We are part of the makeup of the body of Christ, or in this case, the living house, or the living lighthouse, as the analogy is going today. It is our responsibility to do that, to give all glory to God. Number three, the destination of a lighthouse builder. The destination of a lighthouse builder. Verse six, For it stands in Scripture. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Peter is pointing He has pointed to success by looking inward at our diet first, by looking outward at the life we are building, and now he points us forward towards Zion. If you spend any time looking at Scripture, we see Zion as a synonymous word for heaven or eternal life. Zion, the the mountain on high, if you will. We are going to stress here the finish line of our faith. The destination of a lighthouse builder is the finish line. There's an end in sight. There is a result to all of this. But there's also a word, again, of rejection and acceptance here. Through some evangelism tools, or maybe you've just had it in conversation with people in a more natural way, uh, you may ask a person, what do you think it takes for a person to go to heaven? If you ever ask someone that, or ask that question and work through that, you'll find that most people will start to work through how their life lines up, maybe with the people around them, or, or kind of gives the analogy or the thought that in heaven, at some point, some place, that there's this massive scale that says there's what I did, my, my good works in life and my bad works in life. And there's this balance that's going between the two. And if I have more on the good side than I have on the bad side, that I'm going to go to heaven. But that is not in the least bit what the Bible teaches The ultimate decision on God's acceptance or rejection of a person is all tied up in this person of Jesus Christ. It is whether you accept or reject, as you know, Jesus Christ. It is not our works that will save us, but a relationship through God's Son. Still in existence if you've been there, and I have not. If you go to Jerusalem, you can see the temple in Jerusalem. And in existence there, they have and they can show you the existence of the cornerstone of this massive structure still exists. If you remember, it was Peter who said when they came out of the temple one time, he and all the apostles are coming out with Jesus. And he said, Master, behold the stones of these massive structures. And Jesus' response was, not one stone will be left on another. All will be thrown down. 
That's Peter's framework and what he's writing here in comparison to the temple that he knew and that he loved and he thought was this magnificent place. Jesus had told him that not one stone would be standing on another. So if you go and visit that temple cornerstone, it measures 39 feet, 4 inches long, 7 feet, 10 inches wide, and 43 inches tall. That's a big, big stone. That covers basically this entire stage. That's a big stone. That's the cornerstone of the temple. They say that one stone, this one stone, weighs 80 tons. It's a big stone. What's a cornerstone's responsibility? What does it do? It maintains the symmetry for the rest of the building and it sets directions for all the sides. Once you put that cornerstone in place, or maybe it was in place before you started, if it's 80 tons, you might not be moving that rock. You know what? We'll just move the building a little bit. But that cornerstone sets the trajectory, sets the symmetry, sets everything that will follow is all going to be based on that cornerstone. Those who know Jesus as their Savior and Lord accept or reject him, but they will be welcomed into heaven. He has maintained symmetry for those living stones who pursue him and set direction for all sides. He is the cornerstone. In every direction, he sets symmetry for how we are to live our lives. Living stones align with him, and so can you. Now, if he's going to align the direction of all of our lives, let me give you an illustration on that because we are kind of on a a home theme, if you will, today. In Asheville, North North Carolina, my brother-in-law just moved there to plant a church. Uh, Some of you may have been there. There is the Biltmore Estate built there in Asheville, North Carolina. It is the largest home in America, privately owned home. has 250 rooms. Central heating, built in the 1800s, has 65 fireplaces. This place is massive. Raise your hand if you've ever been there. Anyone? Okay, a few of you. I got the opportunity to go there because I was in a college choir and we got to sing there. They would have us come in each Christmas and sing Christmas carols for all the people spending gajillions of dollars to come and tour the place. But we didn't have to pay anything because we sang for four hours, okay? So we stood there and then they gave us the tour and allowed us to go room after room after room. Now, if you've been there or if you go there, you don't get to see all 250 rooms of the Biltmore Estate, The Vanderbilt's built this magnificent place. It's been kept up to to snuff. But at some points, you come, there's a rope in there. And and you can't go into that room, that particular room. There's, there's, There's doors that are closed. Not everything is open. And if you're anything like me, if there's just a rope, you kind of, you know, you just kind of lean in a little bit. Like, I know, like, normal people aren't allowed in here. But can I go in and I check? And you look in there, and every other room is set to the T's, but this room, like, there's just, like, boxes of stuff in there. The difference is, when I come to the Biltmore Estate, I am not a resident. I am a tourist. Residents have an entirely different scope of where they are allowed to be than what a tourist is allowed to be. Jesus Christ is not a tourist. He wants access to every single room, every hallway, every closet in your life. If he's going to be the cornerstone that sets directions for all sides, he has to have access to all facets of your life. Think of it this way. Preparation leads to production. When we build our lives around the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, we will desire the diet and the eternal destination of God. Last point. 
Dazzle of a lighthouse builder. All right, I'm going to admit some things here. Dazzle is not the first word that came to my mind, but because I had a D theme going on, I thought it was very important to stay with the theme. Because in my mind, when I say dazzle, I think of like bedazzled, like jewels like that you stick on with a hot glue gun. Some of you have your leotard at home made out of this, but I don't have one of those. But the, the word dazzle uh, or there's dazzle jazz, lounge music, and, and it's not really what we're looking for here. The word dazzle almost feels like it fits better with America's Got Talent than it does here in our church service this morning. But as I think through this word and look at even the definition of this word, if you look into the sun or you look into a blinding light, if I look into that light right there, if you look into a blinding light or the sun and you look away and there is still what sometimes in the bright light? There's the remnant that has had an effect on your vision. It, is, it has an imprint in your vision for an extended amount of time. That's actually what it means to be dazzled, okay? Not be dazzled, but to be dazzled. Verse 8, 1 Peter 2, verse 8 says this, A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they, do not, because they disobey the word and they were destined to do. They are not following the cornerstone. Verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Have you ever been around someone who just loves their job too much. They just love it. And, and you are just so sick and tired of hearing about Mary Kay. It is going to drive you nuts. <laughs> Men, I'm tired of hearing about your amazing softball team. It just doesn't matter to me. But some people, you are so obsessed with this thing that you love. Or someone plays in a band and they just want you to come and see the show. And you're just like, listen, I didn't want to go last week, man. I'm not coming this week either. If you can imagine the excitement of a lighthouse builder. Will you be a lighthouse builder this morning? There's an excitement that says, hey, I'm responsible for that lighthouse that's going up on the corner. You know, on the corner of the ocean. I don't know if it's a corner. On the, on the beach. I, I'm, I'm responsible for this lighthouse that's being built. I've got my lighthouse t-shirt. I've got my Twitter name that says at lighthouse.com. Like, there's something just propelling you forward because you cannot stop talking about your job, your role as the lighthouse builder, assembler. You're part of something bigger. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a number of mission teams that have come and service at Renewal Church and here at Randall in the summers. And if he listens to the podcast by chance, so be it. But there's a guy named Ed who comes from Mississippi each year. Ed is a unique character to say the least. He's a Harley Davidson kind of guy. Uh, he's got tattoos everywhere, leather jackets. Uh, but he, uh, over at Renewal, we have... Um, bunk beds that a lot of the mission teams stay in, and, and he has tremendous back pain for, for one reason or another. He doesn't, he was working in a factory and he got hurt somehow, I believe, and so he has tremendous back pain, and so not just on the mission trip, but generally speaking, he gets one to two hours of sleep every night, all the time. That's the best that he can do. So imagine yourself going on a mission trip with Ed, and, and he's only going to sleep two hours, and now you're trapped in a room with a guy who's awake all night, wide awake. 
but he is the happiest guy I have ever been around. He's in pain, but he gets up, he walks around, he whistles constantly, and he's, he's always talking about how much he loves his church. To the point, the difference between year one when I met Ed, and he came back a year later, and he said, let me show you this. And he pulls up his arm, and he had taken the bulletin from his church and gone to the tattoo parlor, and he has the church's logo on his arm. I mean, and it's not like a cool, awesome logo. I mean, it's like... First Baptist Church, like, and he loves it. Man, and that's on his arm. He's a little bit too happy or too, and I mean, that's, you think, I'm thinking that. I'm like, man, I don't, what if you change churches? What are you going to (laughs) do? He's got a little too much dazzle, right? The trouble with this is that we value conformity. You and I value conformity. We don't want to stand out in a crowd. We don't want to be perceived as being odd or different or weird. We would prefer to conform. We're afraid of it. If you've ever met Ed, he does not conform very well. There's a television show. It was called What Would You Do? I think it's a Dateline special. So here's, here's three different scenarios that they, they, they use actors to set the scene. And, and everyone in the scene is in on it except this hidden cameras type of thing. And one person doesn't know what's going on. Here's three situations. A bouncer denies people entry into a club based on their appearance. He is rude and condescending and mean to people in line. Then they wait for the other people in line to respond. If you saw someone doing this, behaving this way, would you react? Secondly, on a sidewalk, three teenagers beat and taunt a homeless man in front of a man passing by. How do you respond? How do you react? Thirdly, this one's a little less serious. A flamboyant hairstylist destroys a woman's hair. Other clients within the parlor see it and are asked to respond. Like, how long are you going to sit there when this, and I saw this episode where the guy's like, oh, you look fantastic. And she does not look fantastic. And the ladies and the other the rest of them, how are you going to respond? What this show is toying with is the fact that we would rather conform than stick out and be known as peculiar. We would rather mix in with the crowd. But what God is telling us to do, he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you what? out of darkness into his marvelous light. Romans 12, 2, we don't have this slide, but it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform, even though that's what we want to do, even though that's what is our natural tendency. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be what? Transformed into the renewing of your mind, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Do you believe It is marvelous light that you are following after. Do you believe that what God has given you is so much greater than anything else in this world that you could conform to? Let's ask a few questions here and see what the litmus test really is. First, how's your diet? How's your diet? Are you filling your spiritual life full of junk food? Are you feasting on the rich, pure milk of God's word? How is your diet? Secondly, what is your desire? 
The purpose, vision, statement of this church is that we would glorify God by making disciples of all nations. That sounds good. Do you want to know the fellowship of his sufferings to be conformed to his death? Because that's what it meant for Jesus to glorify God, make disciples of all nations. That's what it meant for him. Jesus, though rejected by men, was focused on doing God's will above all else. The path for us is the same. Thirdly, Where is your destination? What is your spiritual destination right now? Are you on a path of rejection and shame or of acceptance and honor? We see that division all the way through this passage. There's a rejection and then there's an acceptance. Who are you choosing to be accepted by and who are you choosing to be rejected by? There's the rejection of those living stones that Christ says, I'll put those stones together and make a living house that will do what? It will glorify God. How? I am the cornerstone. You can move from rejection to acceptance if you accept Jesus. Will you make him your cornerstone? Will you align with Jesus Christ? Lastly, do you dazzle? As long as we live on this planet, we will experience suffering. We will experience pain. We will have problems. The question is, how do you deal with it? People are watching to see just how our reactions are. When we have sufferings in this world, how do you respond? As a church, how do you respond? This year's a tough one for Randall. There's no question about it. There's different ways that you could look at it. You can look at it. In the last six weeks, we've lost five staff members. In 2015, we will have given away seven staff members. Is that an easy thing to think about? No. But how will you respond? You can look at it that way or you can realize that these are not people who are on the couch at home. They have not given up. These are five, six, seven people who are going out to the ends of the world. They are going to Greece, to Europe, to India, to West Virginia. They are going and serving. The light is being sent out from this place. This zip code is sending and continues to do so, sending people all over the world so that they may proclaim the very gospel of Christ. Isn't that what it means to glorify God by making disciples of all nations? That's what it means. So I'm going to read the statement again by Chief Redcoat, 1805, and see if it rings home again this morning. Brother, We are told that you've been preaching to the white people in this place. These people are our neighbors. We are acquainted with them. We will wait a little while and see what effect your preaching has on them. If we find it does them good, makes them honest, and less disposed to cheat the Indians, we will then consider again what you said. We pray this morning. Dear Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. You are the cornerstone. You are so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, as your word is asking us this morning about our diet, our desire, our destination, is it set upon things that are heavenly rather than things earthly? Lord, you're asking us to shine our light, to live, to shine, to dazzle. Lord, I pray that that would be our heart's desire this morning. If there's anyone here today that doesn't understand this or hasn't handed over the alignment to the chief cornerstone, Lord, pray that they would ask questions, Lord, that that even people sitting on their own row would be able to answer, to be able to say, this is the Christ that I follow. Lord, there are many who are looking, they are watching. How 
Do we individually respond to pain, to suffering? How do we corporately respond to a difficult season? Is there something different about us? Is there something different about this place, this church? Because it has aligned itself on the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would work that in our hearts. It's a process. We know that. And that is why you are building in us. Lord, build in us this morning. Work in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.